we can tell our kids to do something, uh, but how you live it out is the greatest example. And getting them in an atmosphere that is going to encourage their growth in a positive way makes a huge difference. And just being there and showing them love. I mean, we, we minister to a lot of children that unfortunately didn't have that. And we've seen it play out in their behaviors. It does make a big difference. Those years are vital in the growth of a, of a human being, really. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest is 30 years of age. In fact, uh, just had his birthday the day before we're recording this. Now, we release our episodes after we record. Sometimes it's just a few weeks. Sometimes it's a couple of months. But what happened to this individual at age 23 would have destroyed or, in fact, killed most people. But Cody survived. I'm not going to give up the story and his journey uh, in advance, but I just encourage that if Cody can overcome what he has gone through, then what I am suggesting is most of us don't have an excuse for uh, playing the victim card or not stepping up and really realizing our potential in life. Now, that being said, one of the things that uh, Cody did share because of this traumatic event is that it causes him to, to value life even more than he ever has before. And so my encouragement to you is that every single person here listening to this show, you have a purpose, you have a calling, you have an assignment. And to clarify that, to take yourself to the next level, I'm going to encourage that, you know, this show is sponsored by Consulting Resource Group. And we have an online course, What Do You Really Value? It's simple, it's straight to the point, but it's powerful and transformational to take you to the next level where you not only go through the values assessment, where you are really given the opportunity to choose what is most valuable to you, but I take you through, through the online course, a series of exercises for you to clarify, but then also put a plan in place of, you know, I need to be living my values. That's where my highest level of energy is, highest level of engagement. What do I need to continue to do or change or adjust so that I can have a life that's lived mostly by my core values? So the course is called What Do You Really Value? The links are in the show notes, or you can go to the CRG site to look up online or e-courses, What Do You Really Value? As always, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. And we just appreciate if you have some comments or elements for the show guests, then please share them with somebody out there in the marketplace. That being said, here's today's episode with Cody Burns. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this week is a little unique and not that this individual went out of his way to create his story, but really does have an amazing story of recovery of basically a traumatic event that happened in his life. I'm not going to give it away at this point, but we'll go through that story. But then really his encouragement to overcome no matter what happens in our lives. So if you want to be inspired, if you want to be encouraged, then be here with us today for this episode and welcome Cody Burns oh, to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so glad to be here. 
Well, it's already we already had a couple of minutes to chat before we went uh, sort of on and live, and I already appreciate your energy and and just sort of your demeanor, Cody. So that's a long thing for saying I like you already. So with that, it's it's better than me disliking you, I suppose, right? That's right. <laughs> well, we want to have a little fun as we go through it. Now, Cody, before we get into your story, and I don't really want you to reveal what uh, the event that happened when you were 23 quite yet, but we always like to have a bit of a, uh, an explanation of a person's journey. So where, where were you sort of, where did you grow up and what part of the country? Yeah, I grew up in southern Indiana, uh, down by Evansville, if people are familiar with the area, not far from the Kentucky state line. And uh, my our house was in the middle of a cornfield, <laughs> and so uh, I guess we were children of the corn. Children, oh man, that that's, is pretty. That's pretty lame. That's pretty that, lame, Cody. Uh, I get that. Now, were as far as your family, were you farmers? Uh, no, no. We we did have chickens at one point. But we you know, but no, we we didn't have a big farm or anything like that. And so, what was your sort of the profession of your family, your parents? What, what did well, they do for a living? <laughs> my dad, for years, he actually, uh, he was a truck driver, um, but he encountered uh, open heart surgery. And so for, for, you know, most of my childhood, I'd say all of it, for the most part, he was uh, not working. And um, mom, she used to cut hair and so forth, but she dedicated a lot of her time to, to training us boys. I have uh, two younger brothers, and uh, there was a time when we, I went through public school, but Whenever I went, was a junior in high school, uh, she felt that she was led to take us out and homeschool us. And uh, so we, we were homeschooled, very tight-knit, close family. Now, you were homeschooled all the way through high school? Uh, just my junior and senior year. Mm. Okay. And uh, what do you think that did for you versus, you know, my wife's a teacher. I used to be a chair of a school board, just in terms of, people saying socialization and interpersonal skills. How do you think that affected you? Uh, well, I think it was a time where I really grew up. I mean, it's, you know, my faith in Jesus Christ is very important to me. And so, you know, my family were very, um, we're a Christian family. And so we use that time to really not only do our studies, but have devotional time and studying you know, the Bible and so forth. So it really helped us in that part. Um, but I think it was a time of, of growing and, you know, developing for me. I had been through the public school, and I've always been out in the public doing things. So as far as being social, you know, and, and interacting with people, I've always been really good at. Mm. Now, are you the eldest brother, or where do you fit? Uh, I'm the eldest, yes. Okay, so obviously the other two brothers think you're more mature and just much smarter than them. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> <laughs> I have two younger brothers as well, so I was just kind of messing with you a little bit about that situation. So uh, you finished uh, schooling. What did you do after you were done your uh, grade 12 or being, finished as a senior? Yeah, after high school, I went to a ministry program in Rockford, Illinois. And it was there. It was basically like a discipleship program or it was nine months. Um, I was... Uh, at a church, and uh, it was at the time it was Rockford First Assembly, a very big church. They've since cha changed the name to City First Church, um, kind of like an internship kind of program. And during that time, we, like I said, we, we did ministry training, we, we studied. And then after that, I became a part time children's pastor 
at, at my local church there back in, uh, I say Evansville, it's in that area, but Princeton is actually my community where I grew up at. And so Princeton, Indiana, my church there where I grew up, I became part-time children's pastor. Mm-hmm. And at the same time of being a kid's pastor, I got my pastoral credentials out of Indianapolis. So I took some additional schooling to do that. And then I became a full-time children's pastor along with being a evangelist where I would travel and speak at kids' camps and do all kinds of stuff like that. Mm. Well, you said uh, sort of off-air that you did some juggling and humor as well. Yes. Comedy. I, I, I've always had a very I'm, – I'm an interesting guy. Uh, I've always had a very uh, ima- uh, wild imagination. And, I, you know, at a young age, Mom and Dad took me to the circus. And so I was always fascinated with some of the entertainment world. But I also remember going to a kid's camp, and I seen this speaker on stage, and he did juggling and comedy along with sharing a message of hope. And so that really connected with me as a little boy, and I said, oh, my gosh, I want to do that someday. And uh, sure enough, you know, uh, fast forward, I was probably six, seven years old when I seen this juggler on stage speaking. And, you know, fast forward 15 years, I was doing the exact same thing, speaking in kids' camps, juggling and using comedy to break the ice, get their attention, and yet deliver something of value to them. Mm. Well, once you became in this full-time position to uh, serve kids, how old were you then? Oh, goodness. I was probably, I, well, I became part-time as around 20, and then it took me about a year. So I'd say probably around 21, 22 Mm-hmm. So what did you learn, you know, leaving the sort of the spiritual nature to the side with that is what did you learn about different parenting skills and how it affected kids when you were dealing with them? Oh, my goodness. I mean, well, obviously, I don't have children and someday I would like to. Um, but from an outward perspective in the study that I did and I've seen it, it makes a tremendous impact in the child's life. I mean, Children are only kids for so long, and, you know, we can tell our kids to do something, but how you live it out is the greatest example, and getting them in an atmosphere that is going to encourage their growth in a positive way makes a huge difference, and just being there and showing them love. I mean, we we minister to a lot of children that unfortunately didn't have that, and we've seen it play out in their behaviors, Mm -hmm. and uh, it, it does make a big difference. Those years are vital and the growth of a, of a human being, really. Well, you mean, at your age, I mean, and, and this is not a judgment or a brush on that, is just, you know, being a young man at 21, 22, what was really the drive to serve kids? Well, I think it just kind of naturally came into with my talents and abilities. And, you know, I started doing kid stuff. Um, I mean, I was a kid <laughs> helping out kids my age. So, uh, with, you know, I, I, I fell in love with juggling and I even did clown ministry for a certain amount of years. So I started doing that stuff whenever I was like six or seven years old. And, and so, you know, I always, our church would do events and naturally I'd want to dress up or I'd juggle. And so I was always active in kids ministry, even though I myself was a child. Uh, and so my skills and my abilities really enhanced and, and I got to where I was doing all kinds of stuff and uh, getting paid thousands of dollars doing it. I mean, I got to do a few circus events, too. So with the skills and the abilities, it just kind of, like I said, it came natural. The kids loved it. And, of course, I've learned that not only do kids love it, adults love it. 
Now, where did you learn this juggling? Did you go online or did somebody teach you or how does somebody, I mean, you just don't show up one day and start juggling. No, <laughs> I, uh, I actually taught myself how to do three juggling balls. I watched some videos. Um, my family had some old VHS videotapes of some circus performances, and there was clowns on there that juggled. And I began to study the pattern and eventually taught myself. And then as the years progressed and YouTube came about, started watching YouTube videos and taught myself even more things. And then whenever I was 17, I got... Well, I already knew a lot of my juggling stuff, but I did get additional training. I went to a clown school in Roanoke, Virginia, which was like a week-long camp. It was more of a camp than anything, and I got to learn some other little added skills, uh, but for the most part, all self-taught. Wow. I didn't know there was such a thing as clown school or a clown camp. I know there are clowns at camp, but not a clown camp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, uh, they, they said this one was, in, it was in Roanoke, Virginia, the one I went to. And, uh, you know, I was one of the youngest ones at the camp. Um, but a lot of, you know, it's just a week you go there. If you want to learn to put on clown makeup, you can do clown makeup, you can do magic, you can do puppets, balloons, juggling. I mean, there's all forms of different, you know. Well, wow. uh, who knew? I had no idea, Cody. Thanks for that information. <laughs> you're, you're for welcome. those of you listening, if you have a son or daughter or personal interest in being a clown, uh, then we'll make sure that they reach out to Cody and find out about how to get to that camp if it still exists. That's so, right. uh, well, thank you for all of that. And Cody, when you think about leadership, even at your young age, you know, before we get to your situation that happened at 23, is what characteristics or qualities did you think that you learned you would like the audience to consider when working with kids? You talked about love. You talked about acceptance. Anything beyond that? Yeah, I mean, working with children, I think, you know, it, it, more than anything, I think kids, they, can, they know when you care. Uh, children are smart. I think they're a lot smarter than what people give them credit. Mm-hmm. And they can see through a lot of things. And so they can see your heart and your, I believe they can see your intention. And especially if a child is going through or has gone through some devastating uh, tragedies in their life or emotional abuse or what have you, um, they, they're exposed to things and to, to situations that nobody at their age should be. Uh, but they, but they know when somebody's faking it or if they're being real and genuine. And so I think that, um, authenticity is so important when, uh, you know, working with children, uh, letting them know your heart and that you truly care. And um, I think it just, it just goes volumes. And so I think leadership, you know, you think it, more than anything, you know, you're, you're being a servant and uh, you obviously got to do your studies and you sit still, you set the bar high. You're still, you know, the, the grown up and you got to let them know a lot of these children don't have respect for their elders, especially nowadays. And uh, a lot of that is because of the parent parenting. And, um, you know, so you have to very much use caution. And, you know, it's it's a stress. Working with children, it's not easy. I mean, I think, you know, my brother, he's a school teacher. And, you know, I hear the stories of how he's with these children. Of course, obviously, right now with the quarantine, they're all doing uh, virtual education. But when he was there, I mean, some of the horror stories you hear of how these children are just so disrespectful. And so you really, you know, it's a give or give and take. But I think authenticity and letting them know that you're there and that you really do care about them. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I mentioned earlier that my wife's a teacher and I was a school board chair is that 
whenever we had behavioral problems and I had to get involved, it usually had to do with the parenting issues behind it. And what was really sad is a lot of time the parents didn't even know that they didn't know that they didn't know. So they were just kind of oblivious that they were, uh, I sorry for the word, incompetent as parents. It was a job they never applied to get. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and we're not trying to be judgmental uh, SOS listeners or Secrets of Success listeners. We are really just trying to encourage you what really behaviors encourage kids and others. Now, Cody, one of the reasons that you're on the show is that you know, you had reached out and you do have this story that occurred when you were 23 years of age. So just take us through the events that happened that day before this situation occurred and then we'll make sure we'll keep the audience hanging right on the edge of their seat about what happened to you. So away you go. Yeah. Um, well, in May of 2013, I was 23 years old and I actually just gotten back from Cuba. I was doing some mission work over there and, you know, life was going great. And like I said, children's pastor, traveling evangelist. I had a summer booked full of events. Um, I was going to be doing a lot of kids camps, all kinds of stuff I had planned. And uh, this particular day, May 31st, it was a Friday. Uh, I was had a meeting that morning with Vincent in Vincent's Indiana, Vincent's University. They do an event there every year in honor of the comedian, comedian comic Red Skelton, uh, which as a young little boy, I mm-hmm. watching the old-fashioned comics. Um, and so he was one that I studied and I was always very fascinated with. Supposedly somewhere down the line, he's actually a distant cousin of mine, which is fascinating. Uh, but they have a, like I said, a yearly event. They have a theater there that they have built in honor of him. And so the, uh, the directors, they had brought me in. I was going to be doing a comedy and juggling bit. And so I had a meeting that morning at the university. Went great because the performance was going to be the following weekend. And um, I was driving back to my church office, and it was on Highway 41 there in Indiana. And I was stopped at a red light on the highway. And that is where my entire life as I knew it would come to a stop. And uh, I was rear-ended by a refrigerator box truck that was going full highway speed, 60, 65 miles per hour. It showed no signs of stopping. And it rear-ended my vehicle, and on impact of the truck hitting my car, my car blows up into flames. Uh, When the first responders came to the scene, by the looks of the wreck, uh, they said it's a fatality. They said there's no way anybody can survive this. Uh, It was completely engulfed in flames, my vehicle. The sheriff's department took hundreds of photos. There are images available online. Uh, There's different things out there. If you type in Cody Burns uh, accident or what have you on Google, you can find some things. And so they said it's a fatality. Uh, They had done called the coroner and everything. The driver of the truck was fine. Um, I, on the other hand, was considered to be dead. Um, But to their amazement, And to my amazement, they saw my hand move, and they changed their plans. And it took them a good hour to get me out of this vehicle. They had to get the jaws of life, and I mean, it was, uh, I guess, quite the process. And they said I was talking to them. I told them who I was, where I worked, and everything. I don't, I don't remember none of this. The last thing I'm, I just remember driving, and then I wake up in a hospital. Um, But 
so yeah, they, I told them who I was and so forth. They put me on a stretcher. They life-flighted me to the hospital in Evansville, Indiana, and then they had discovered that, you know, I've got severe burn injuries. I need to be transported to a burn unit. So they immediately uh, life-flighted me to Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was placed into their burn unit. It was at the time called Wisher. Now they've since changed the name to Eskenazi. And I was placed into a coma on life support for three weeks. I had severe burn injuries. 40% of my body uh, was severely burned. Um, however, my face had second-degree burns. Now, second-degree burns don't scar. Uh, but then I had third-degree burns, and I had fourth-degree burns. I never knew there was a fourth-degree burn. Yeah, I haven't uh, heard that. That's right down to the bone, isn't it? It is, yes. And in some cases, it requires amputation. And they wanted to amputate a few of my fingers, and they were able to save them. And something else very fascinating, my left leg was severely burned down to bone and muscle. And if the wreck would have happened two years before all this happened, I would have lost my left leg. But so luckily, because of technology and how it's advanced, they were able to save it. Um, and along with the burn injuries, I had uh, torn ligaments. I had broken vertebrae. I mean, everything that could have went wrong whenever I was in the burn unit went wrong. My family have their side of the story. And I guess there was a couple of times my oxygen levels went so low that I was seriously um, on edge of dying. And, um, you know, it, it was a troublesome process. I will pause there and give you a talk break if you have questions, because there's a lot just in that. Well, well, no, I mean, we. I think listeners just want to hear your story and your side of it and as you describe it. So let me not inter interrupt that. However, you know, during this three weeks of being unconscious, uh, you were never brought out of that unconsciousness uh, that you recall, or or were you? No, I was not. No, okay. it was, uh, and matter of fact, whenever I had came to and I started coming to reality, I was really got that three weeks had went by. And something interesting is during that time, I was booked to speak at a camp in Michigan, <laughs> and and uh, the, the church was, was expecting me. And I guess they had flown, and I took a bunch of kids with them, had signs, welcome, Pastor Cody. Well, Pastor Cody didn't get off the plane. I was, I was on life support. So I had all these things booked. Uh, so so yeah, obviously it, somebody didn't know your schedule to contact them. No, they didn't, because I, I had, you know, as, a, as I did all the arrangements my own self. Um, I didn't have an agent or anybody working with me on that side of things at the time. Mm. So, wow, okay. So uh, you didn't show, by the way, how did they find out about your situation? Did they reach out or call or? Yeah, or they what? had. Yeah, whenever I had came to uh, my information, I had my family there and different ones. I give them, I was able to remember my passwords and information. They accessed it, and they was able to get in touch with them and let them know what had happened. But okay, so you were in this coma for three weeks. Uh, I imagine were there a fair amount of surgeries during that time that were trying to be reconstructive in nature. Yes, um, whenever I was in the burn unit specifically, and that. Period. I think there was a total of eight or nine surgeries. Um, one of which, actually, two of two of them, they actually. My mom tells me that they had to do in my actual um, op, my ICU room. I was so critical they couldn't even move me to the operating room. So they actually had to sterilize my room and shut down the entire floor and do my surgery there. Um, I had a blood infection that came about. Uh, I mean, all kinds of hurdles, pneumonia. 
uh, two types of pneumonia, and and so it was a, a lot. And uh, luckily, I don't remember all that. Mm. Okay, so let's go to when you're coming to for the first first time. What what really unfolded then? Yeah, my earliest remembrance of coming to, obviously I was very drowsy still because of the meds, um, but I do remember hearing my family. And I remember hearing my mom specifically. And she was there and she began to tell me all that had happened. You know, Cody, you've been hit by this truck. You know, you've got severe burn injuries. Your recovery, it's not going to be easy. Um, and, but she reminded me of something very important. So obviously before all this happened to me, my vision was to give hope to people. I was ministering to children and I always had a big vision to help people. And I always knew that I wanted to internationally make a difference, make a positive impact. And I had an idea of what it would look like, but however, it's since changed. But my mom, she said, you know, Cody, no matter what, don't lose sight of your vision. And she encouraged me because she knew that at every, I had every right to give up and play the victim. And many people in today's world, they have every right to do that as well. But she believed that there was something greater on the other side for her son. And, you know, I always like to encourage people that, you know, no matter what has happened in your life, I believe in you. There's something greater on the other side. And so she was there. She encouraged me as well as my whole family, my community. Um, I was in the burn unit for a total of two and a half months. And then I had to go to a in-stay rehabilitation center where I had to relearn to walk and use my hands again. And then I had more surgeries and I had another year or better of more physical and occupational therapy that I had to continue once I got back home. And now, let's, let's just back up for a bit. Okay. Uh, because one of the things I, like, I always like to delve into as an interviewer is just sort of your mindset. And, you know, thank goodness for your mom to be encouraging going the other side. That two and a half months, once you're back into reality, you have a sense of what has happened to you. What's going through your mind during that time? And what could you say to the listeners that would be encouraging to them, even though you were facing this um, real situation? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, at 23, one moment you're extremely healthy. You know, you're traveling and your body is, is one way. And the next moment, you know, with my case, it was I was completely deformed. I wake up, this tragedy took place, and some of the things I used to do so naturally, I couldn't do anymore. And so you have those moments of, you wonder why, why this would happen, and a lot of frustration, uh, a lot of moments that um, I fought depression. And however, I, at the same time, remained thankful that I was even alive. So it was this relationship where one moment I'm thankful and I'm learning to count my blessings. But on the other end, I'm still very stressed out. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I had my days. I had my moments where I wanted to give up. And so all these things are, are taking place. And, I, you know, my hope was at the time that, okay, this is going to be one of those injuries. All right, I'm, once I'm done, I'm done. But burn injuries specifically are an injury that this it's not just like, okay, you go in and, you know, a couple months you're healed. It takes time and it's actually a lifelong injury first, you know, like where you may have to have surgeries throughout your lifetime. Um, so it was very hard, 
But through it all, I had to keep my focus on the vision because at the end of the day, I knew as a young man and even going through what I went through, I recognized how short life is. And there's many individuals, unfortunately, that they would encounter something like this and they wouldn't make it. And so I had a choice to make, just like everybody in today's world, they have a choice to make. And the fact is, we cannot change what has happened to us in the past. As much as we would like to, we can't. Mm -hmm. The only thing we can change is what we do today. And as hard as it was to swallow that pill, it was the only thing that would really help me get through. And I recognized that I wanted to give hope to people. So I had to really shift my perspective in this. And I always try to encourage people that even if you've encountered things, they're, they're, I, I, always, I have like four steps that I tell people is that it's good to embrace challenges, know that challenges will, will come no matter what stage of life we're in, you know, whether it be in your personal or even in your business, what have you. So embrace challenges. When challenges come, shift your perspective. How can you benefit from this? What are the lessons you can find through this experience? And then implement the changes that need to be made. In my case, you know, I had to begin to do the therapy. I had to, as much as I didn't want to do these things, I had to recognize that this is going to help me get better. So I have to do these things they want me to do. And, you know, whether it be, and no matter what you are in life or what, you know, from other people that are listening to this, what changes can you make in your life to help you get through your problems and through your challenges? And then the last thing I tell people is to celebrate, celebrate and serve. And so that takes time. But here I am almost seven years later. I have discovered that this incident that, have, that occurred in my life has turned around for my good. And I see that it's encouraging people. And it's really became a platform in which I can help a lot of people. And so for that fact, I celebrate it because I'm also serving others through it. And at the end of the day, my vision is still taking place. It may not be what I thought it would be originally, but it's more powerful than what it would have been if this hadn't happened. Well, you certainly have a story that's attached to it where you've been in it. Uh, when you you know, think about your situation, especially the last seven years, what sort of additional insights are you now sharing with your audiences that you have learned through the sort of ongoing surgeries and, you know, consistent having kind of deal with this? Uh, what, what are you sharing with your audiences now about encouraging them to, to you know, stick the course and be resilient? Yeah. I, and, you know, I think it, it all goes back to that mindset and recognizing that you have one life to live. You can play a victim and you can choose to live life miserable, and you may have every right to be, to be play the victim. There, but if you want to see any progress or anything good come about from your life, you have to put on your big boy pants and make the changes necessary and move on. Uh, you know, I talk a lot about scars, and I think this is one of the most powerful things that has really occurred through this experience because I've done a lot of studying on scars. And obviously, as a burn survivor, I have the physical scars, which burn survivors deal with contracture scars. And I talk about scar release. That's what I titled my book, Scar Release, Breaking Free of Yesterday's Troubles. 
Scar release is named after a surgical procedure that they do on burn survivors. And I tell people this, you know, if a, if a scar, contracture scar, occurs over the top of a joint, it can limit the mobility of that joint. And the only way to free up that scar to allow it to be mobile again or allow your, you know, your joint to be mobile again is to go in and have a scar release. And they go in at the scar and they cut it at its root. And once they do that, then you have mobility. But I always tell people this, that a scar release procedure does not remove the appearance of a scar. It allows the mobility to move with the scar. And I think that is key with anybody in life. Maybe they don't have the physical scars. Maybe they have the emotional scars. And maybe those scars have occurred, whether it be in their personal lives, maybe in their marriage, um, within, or it could be their business. Uh, there's many different uh, ways we could take that. But the fact is, is are, or, or the question is, is are you allowing that scar to keep you immobile? If so, you need to go back at the scar, find the problem, and fix it to allow you to be mobile again. And yet understand that the scars are always there. It's just a matter of not allowing them to keep you limited for the rest of your life. And so I always encourage people that freedom is available and it's just a matter of us doing the work to get there. And the work isn't always fun. It's often painful. It's often not fun because uh, we have to go back to some areas that we probably don't want to. But when you expose that situation and you find out what it is, it can really work out for your good. Mm. Now, Cody, I want to just back up a second. And you might or might not have sort of the insight on this question, but working with people in burn units that you now serve and we'll get to your foundation in a minute why do you think uh, there are so many people who hold on to the victim card what is what have you learned about human psychology and just the dynamics of why people hold that card knowing that until that you know until i take responsibility there's nothing that's going to change i'm stuck being a victim but i'm curious to hear your perspective of why you think so many people stick or stay in this victim mentality or mindset. Yeah, I, I'm not a therapist, but I'll say what I have studied and what I have seen is that people often remain victims because it is easier and it's easier to blame shift. And when you can put the blame on other people, then you don't have to do the work involved to get to where you need to be. And it's, it's hard to swallow that. And a lot of people, they, they live their entire life playing the victim card. But as much as they may think it's easier, it's really doing them more harm. Because at the end of the day, the other people that they are, so to speak, blaming, they're going on with their life. Uh, you're the only one that is stuck. And I think about the driver of the truck that, that hit me. Uh, he, we walked away fine. I've never met the driver. I would love to someday. But I know in my heart that I've forgiven this individual. And God knows. And, you know, I think there is power in forgiveness. And, you know, I choose to forgive. And forgiveness is one of those things, too, is like just because I forgive somebody doesn't mean I need to hang out with them 24-7. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that side. Some people you have to love from a distance. There's nothing wrong with that. 
in my case, it ain't going to make any difference because, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I forgive the guy and I, I wish him well. Uh, but, you know, forgiveness is more so for yourself. And, and so I think there is a matter of forgiving these people uh, that it's extremely important. But, yeah, I, I think it, in a roundabout way, I think people just think it's easier. And they want to be catered to, and uh, it's not my problem, it's, it's theirs. Uh, and so, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have been wounded. And, yeah, we're not going to condone people's behavior. But at the same time, if you want to move on with your life, you've got to start making some changes your own self. Mm-hmm. For sure. Thanks, Cody. So now, Cody, I understand that you have a foundation uh, for uh, burn survivors. Uh, how and when, and just give us the details on how this has all come about. Yeah, it's, it's actually still in transition. And, you know, it was formed back uh, along with the, the ministry. It was formed back in 2016. And the, the goal is to financially support burn survivors that need physical or emotional care. Uh, and a lot of what, what we've been doing in, in recent years and what we will continue to be doing is sponsoring certain patients that need emotional support. I think emotional is probably one of the most critical, especially in the United States. Um, and there's different camps and conferences that are available to burn survivors, uh, whether they be young or old. And these are just such life-changing uh, experiences for these people, and they really need that. And so I, we, we financially support them if they need, you know, transportation help, paying them to go to the conference. You know, we we do that. And and so, and I'm also looking into the possibility of sponsoring uh, burn units in other countries. Um, one of which is in Kenya. I know there's one in El Salvador that I would like to look into, and help those out as well. Mm. So thank you for uh, your efforts in that area. Now, Cody, you only have a few minutes left in the show. So uh, share with the um, people your book and where they're going to be able to get it when it comes out here. Yeah, well, the book is is released. Um, it released uh, in 2018, and it became a bestseller on Amazon. It is available uh, in paperback or in digital format. And if the viewers would like, they can go to my website, CodyBurns.com. That is C-O-D-Y-B-Y-R-N-S.com. And on there, there is a, um, a tab that says Scar Release Book. And on there, if they put their name and their email, they'll be able to download the first chapter uh, for free along with a study guide. And they can look at it, give it a whirl, and see if they like it. And if they do, the Amazon link is also available on there. Mm. And then if they just want to find something out, they just go to your site, CodyBurns.com. We'll make sure that those are in the uh, show notes. Now, so Cody, we're already getting close to the end of our show. What would be some uh, final words of encouragement for the audience today with your story for, for people to consider, to ponder, to not be a victim, to really take responsibility and make a difference? Yeah, I I love this quote, and it was given to me by one of my mentors who actually passed last year. Um, He was very big in the motivational speaking industry. His name was Sean Stevenson, and he had given me this poster um, probably two years ago, and it's a powerful quote, and I know it's somebody. I don't know them off the top of my head, Uh, but, but it says this. It says, the key to success 
is playing the hand you were dealt like it was the hand that you wanted. And I think that plays true in my own life. And I have seen this as an opportunity to serve and to enhance my, in my vision. And so no matter what we're going through in life, whether they be good or bad, find the lessons. You know, and I think pain, painful moments, we learn so much about ourselves and about life in general. And where there's pain, there's also growth. And so, I, I, you know, whatever area the viewers are in in their life, and I know right now we're going through this quarantine stage, and I know from, from my perspective, I'm really looking at this as an opportunity to serve. And I really believe it's setting the stage for something uh, great to happen as far as impacting people and, and encouraging people all the more. And so, yeah, I think that's a, a good uh, quote and something that hopefully your viewers can be encouraged by. Well, uh, Cody, it's been a delight uh, for you joining us. And we were joking a little bit on uh, offline before we got on. Uh, we mean, what's the odds they have a last name called Burns, but spelled B-Y-R-N-S? Uh, that's, that's not even right, Cody. <laughs> not even right. So I know you're laughing now seven years later, but I'm glad that you have a sense of humor over it. And, of course, I'm sure that's come up at different times. Uh, Cody, uh, thanks for taking the time to kind of join us. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for having me. And it has been an honor and a privilege. Uh, Cody, stay on the line with us. Well, uh, Secrets of Success listeners, you've been listening to Cody Burns. Uh, Go get his book, Scar Release. It is available. It is online. I stand corrected. It is there on Amazon or on his site, CodyBurns.com. You know, if Cody can overcome what he has done, what's your excuse? We really don't have one. We all have a choice every single day to live life to the fullest. I'm not saying it's easy. We all have our days. Yes, we do, myself included. But right now, if we're going to make a difference, we really want to be the person that's taking action and not being a victim. Thank you, as always, for listening to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.